0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, Steeler Nation, and welcome to your SteelerNation.com podcast. I'm your host, G. Stryker, and today we recap the draft, and we have the man who covers the Pirates' and the Steelers as the Director of Content Marketing with DKPittsburghSports.com, Hunter Homestek. Hunter, how you doing today?
1: Man, I'm doing well. It's awesome to finally be on the podcast. Big fan of your work and the site's work and everything you guys do, so it's an honor to be here. I appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Oh, it, it's a pleasure on our part as well. We had DK on last year, and he was a blast to talk to as well. So I'm, I'm glad that we're still involved in communicating with the DK Pittsburgh sports family, and it's always great to interact.
1: Of course. That, and isn't that part for the course with anything Steelers related? It always feels like a big family and kind of all one team. So it's, it's cool, man. I love it.
0: Yeah. And before we get into talking about the draft, I want Steeler Nation to get to know you just a little bit better. Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in South Central PA, so not actually in Pittsburgh at all. Uh, it was a little town called McConnellsburg, Pennsylvania, in Fulton County, okay. right on kind of the Maryland Han- Hancock-Maryland border, yeah. So gotcha. I was about, yeah, two hours east, southeast of Pittsburgh. And then I went to college at WVU, mm-hmm. so Morgantown, West Virginia, which is obviously pretty close to Pittsburgh. Kind of a natural progression after I graduated. Always loved Pittsburgh, the city itself, so I knew I just wanted to be close. The good thing about our uh, line of work is that we get to work from home, so I was never really work-bound. Work never really dictated where I lived, uh-huh. so I just chose where I wanted to live, and I knew that was Pittsburgh.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. So I guess you grew up a-, a Steelers fan, a Pittsburgh fan, then in general being from Southern Central PA.
1: Yeah, it's funny, man. My dad my dad grew up closer to the city uh, in a little town called Bronco, PA, near Mason Town and Union Town. Yeah. And uh, he was he, he and his family. I mean, that side of of the family are just massive Steeler fans. So yeah, I was always hearing about the '70s Steelers and getting the old stories. I think there's there's a picture of me if you creep on my social media enough, you'll find it of me dressed up as Kevin Green when I was like three years old, awesome. had the long blonde hair awesome. and a fake goatee. Yeah. I, I didn't know what football, I, I had no idea what football was, but my family made sure I looked the
0: part. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and I can completely feel for you there. I, I did not grow up in the Pittsburgh area ever, either. I was northern central Pennsylvania, a small town called Muncie, real close to the Williamsport area. That's where Little League World Series happens every year. And then ended up living four years in Hershey area when my mom went to school, and then, you know, about Fifteen years ago, I moved nice. to the Philly area, and I lived in the Philly area to start my company back then. And since I've moved back down to Baltimore, and now I'm in Mount Airy, so <laughs> done the big man uh,
1: Philly, yeah, uh, Philly, Baltimore. You got it. You got a thing for enemy territory there.
0: I do, but I love giving it out as much as they try to give it to me. <laughs> and it was <laughs> it was neat when I went to high school and college here. I, I think. They ended up, Baltimore ended up getting their team, I think my senior year in college, and then I started working for a company that was doing pregame for the Baltimore Ravens, so I was working for the Ravens for from like 98 to 2001, um, so I got to go, but on Steeler game days, that was the only day I wouldn't work because we got free, field, free entry passes, not field passes. And so on the Steeler days I'd show up in my black and gold, I wouldn't work and I'd just walk in and watch the game. So that was the, the best thing that my That's hilarious <laughs> my company would do for me. <laughs> it's like That's so good. Yeah, so that's so, so good. I, everybody's like, hey, striker, why don't you just be a Baltimore fan? I mean, they got Baltimore and I was like, look, man, I grew up Steelers. Uh, I'm happy that Baltimore's here because I get to see the Steelers once a year here in Baltimore. So that makes me happy. <laughs> so I want to go back to man, you. Man, because- that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. I want to go back to you here for a second because there's something I found really interesting in your uh, bio. And that is, you used to cover the, uh, the the mixed martial arts for the Bleacher Report and MMA Combat.com yeah. and Flow Sports. And I love the MMA 4-PAT. The format, and um, so, what was it like to cover the MMA from the front line?
1: One of my favorite experiences, man. I, I genuinely loved it. That that was kind of a similar thing. I grew up kind of. I wasn't one of the people who watched the USC from USC one and everything. I wasn't a super early adopter. Yeah. But when they had the reality show, the, the Ultimate Fighter, I think I jumped in around season three.
2: Uh-huh. And
1: once I watched a little bit, I just fell in love. And my cousin, who actually lives in Uniontown, still. We would travel so two hour, two two and a half hour drive from our hometown of McConnelsburg. We would go to his house on Saturdays for every UFC pay per view, and he would buy the pay per view and cook, and we would just have like little UFC parties. I was probably like 14, 15, 16 years old at the time. That's awesome. And then when I was in college, yeah, man. So I I would always just go to Bleacher Report because I loved when you're learning about a sport, and that's very much what I was with the UFC and MMA in general. Those lists and like the fun stuff that Bleacher Report does are just so engaging when you're just trying to learn and get to know these dudes. So yeah. I would always be on Bleacher Report. And one day I just saw a little banner ad on the side that said, want to work for us? Apply here. It was just something like that. Yeah. And I was in college. I was, I was in uh, journalism journalism major at the time. And I was like, well, yeah, I want to work for you. Like, is this a joke? Of course I do. So <laughs> I, uh, I, I just, <laughs> I filled it out. And you had to submit like a couple writing samples and some basic info. And then they got in touch. They had like a liaison. I'm not sure what you'd call it, but this guy like identified it and then kind of nurtured you on the way through. So he kind of talked me through it and like slotted me in. And then from there, they just let me work my way up. Basically it's called a featured columnist program. So once I became a featured columnist for Bleacher Report, things really started taking off with that. I started to be able to go to events and, interview the fighters and interview the managers and all that. So from there, it really just snowballed. And all this while I was still in college, it it was really cool, man. Like, really good experience and definitely set me up for where I am now with DK Pittsburgh Sports.
0: So did you have any favorite fighters that you followed or some favorite interviews that you can remember?
1: Uh, Definitely. But so many – the the really cool thing about the way we did it, and this really took off when – I got to flow sports and we were kind of running slow combat Mia and one of my very best friends to this day, kind of one of my mentors in the MMA space, Dwayne Finley, Uh we, we kind of ran slow combat and had full control over what we were able to do. So we, we would always go on these road trips and visit the gyms and visit fighters. We would hang out and, you know, even have some beers and and get a little rowdy with fighters, just get to know them on a real personal level. So, Guys like Jim Miller and, and Frankie Edgar, Cody Garbrandt, Gilbert Burns, Dustin Poirier, like mm. we just got to know these dudes. Cub Swanson was another one. Cub Swanson let us stay at his house for like three days because wow. we, we just couldn't afford a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're on these road trips like plumbing it and he offered. So we're like, oh, if we can save $300 on a hotel, like we're going to take you up on that, Cub. And he just let us stay at his house with his family. Like it was incredible, man. So obviously mm. people like that who went out of their way to show kindness are going to stick out, but yeah. players get kind of a, a bad rap in the general society, I think, but I would urge anybody to just really look into these people, get to know, and they're so kind and they're so nice. And it's something kind of funny because I also love heavy metal music and it's something you hear <laughs> about metalheads all the time. It's this really, really aggressive, heavy music. And you think they're real angry people, but yeah. they're, some of the calmest just nicest people on earth and a lot of people say it's because you're getting you're getting that aggression out through the music so Mm -hmm. I think I think there's something to that and it's the same with fighters you know they're training all day they're they're too tired to be mean (laughs) whenever they're not in a fight (laughs) yeah yeah
0: no you're definitely right and you and I both play guitar and we speak the same language of craft beer so are there any beers right now that you're currently really enjoying
1: Oh, uh, absolutely, man! Locally in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's beer scene over the past couple of years has just gotten
0: yeah, insane. Yeah, it's and been great. we
1: yeah, it, it's beautiful, and we're super lucky to have one of the one of our sponsors on the site is Mike's Beer Bar. It's a it's a craft beer bar right across from PNC Park on the North Shore. Nice. And they're still open for yeah, man. They're still open for takeout during all this coronavirus madness. So yeah. They'll, they'll still fill prowlers and you, you can get mystery six packs. Dude, their selection. I've been there. So many times, like more than I, an embarrassing <laughs> amount. We'll just say that. But uh, <laughs> but I haven't even put a dent in their offering. They have over five hundred beers and eighty on tap, and fifty of those eighty, at least fifty. It's, it's usually more than fifty are local.
2: Wow. So you can just
1: try local beers all day, and I mean they're fresh. They're the best. Like. Hitchhiker, yep. Insurrection, yep. Levity. I mean, it's all yeah. like these great local breweries. But then also near our house, uh, I don't know if you've ever had it, but Brew Gentlemen, it's in
0: Braddock. No.
1: So, yeah, man, I highly I could not recommend them more. I mean, that's that's my favorite beer in the city for sure. If you're into like the hazy New England style IPAs, you'll yep. we'll do that better than anybody. Oh, better nice. than anybody. But I love their stouts too. I mean, they do this Mexican coffee stout once a year that is just like Whenever they announce it, my wife and I are like, yep, we're there. (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice, yeah, because in our area, too, Richmond has a huge beer scene, um, Virginia, Maryland. I mean, everything is blowing up now. I'm actually living in, in an area that their laws are very relaxed for farms. So we have a ton of farm breweries around because they allow you to open up a tasting room on any farm, as long as one of the ingredients that you use in your beer comes from your farm. So they just blew up all ah. over the place right here. And we've got like a lot of nice uh, German uh, style and Belgian style breweries. One Brookville Beer Farm that's real close to here. Milk House is very close here as well. And they just pop up all over the place. Wire as well. They, they had the brewers that came over from Flying Dog and um yeah i'm, I'm super huge mm-hmm. into the craft scene that's what i do like when i tour or when when i leave for work or when i go anywhere i'm always hitting the local beer scene i'm always going to the local breweries and trying them out so it's nice to talk to another beer head as well draft head <laughs> so let's <laughs> of go of course man Let-
1: <laughs> that's awesome
0: so let's go from talking about draft beer to talking about the draft and the steelers <laughs> draft obviously we've got a lot to talk about we've got You know, six, one, two, three, four, five, six new players on the team. So, how did you feel that the Steelers did this year, then, Hunter?
1: Overall, I felt like it was not a flashy draft by any means, especially because it's going to. And I think we're going to talk about this a little later. But you you contrasted against the other AFC North teams, and the Steelers' haul is definitely not as flashy. However, and this this is something that I felt going into the draft, and I felt that it very much held true throughout the draft. The Steelers didn't have any glaring needs going into the draft, which is such a great place to be. They yep. were kind of set. If the season had just started with no draft, they would have had a great team. They could have fielded a great 53-man roster as is. So yep. everything through the draft felt like gravy or felt like, you know, how are you going to – what kind of pinstripes are you going to put on your car? You know, how are you going to make this <laughs> thing really pop? So yeah, <laughs> I, felt like they, I felt like they did a, a great job. The Chase playful pick, yeah, not going to lie, I did not have him rated super highly coming in, but mm. I feel like now, having watched so much more tape, having read so much more about him, it was more of me not doing the proper amount of homework on the guy because I, I don't know what I missed, but I'm watching this guy now, and I'm seeing more and more how he fits in, and more than anything, it's his blocking. I love nice. watching this dude block and just how physical he is because how Steelers is that? You know how they yeah. love a physical... And he's just going to set the tone. And especially like we just said about the division, AFC North, you mm-hmm. got to set the tone in those division games. Yeah. And he's a guy who's absolutely going to help him do that. And a huge target in the red zone for Ben. You couple him with Eric Ebron, and mm-hmm. that's, that's going to be a totally different red zone offense this year. So
2: it is. overall,
1: I felt like they, yeah, man, I felt like they addressed their needs. I felt like depth at safety and, and along the defensive line was going to be necessary. And it looks like they got that. So they, they did their homework and made the smart picks. I liked it. I didn't feel like they really reached for anybody. I felt like they just took the guys that they actually wanted and, and made it happen, which you got to trust your process. I, I love watching, I love reading Twitter and just seeing everybody complain and everybody <laughs> knowing so much more. Everybody on Twitter knows more than the professional scouts and GNs who, who have been doing this for years and spend multiple hours a day just going through film and interviews and talking to them. That's my biggest takeaway through all this is like, guys, just put that aside and give them a chance. Just wait and see, because I promise you, you don't know more than Kevin Colbert about the guys that he drafted.
0: Yeah. And and we're talking too about the coronavirus and quarantining and, and all of these coaches and GMs and scouts, they're all doing a lot more legwork they were saying because they're not having to jump in a car and drive to work I mean, they're just right there at the computer, turn it on, start doing the research, and they said they got to get a lot more in-depth into a lot of players, which is probably why they had a lot of different grades on players, and it seems like this draft was more film-heavy than it usually was, like, Uh, workout—they really like the workout athletes and the spark numbers, I mean, that's really jumped up ever since they made the mistake there with the Jarvis Jones pick, but— They seem to be, this one really seems to be really film heavy. So a lot of the players, I was running the live uh, Twitter announcements every time we had a draft on both. I was simulcasting on Twitter and on Facebook for SteelerNation.com every time we did a draft. And other than the Chase Claypool pick, I mean, there was a small amount of shock that I was like, you know, who's this guy and where is he on our board? (laughs) Cause it was, Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. really, really an interesting draft because number one, at least with the Chase Claypool, I knew, you know, I had him on one of my mock drafts around later, but obviously the way that the wide receivers just flew off the board. I mean, there was no way he was going to be there at the end of the third no way, but to grab him there at the second I really wanted Higgins he went earlier but they were both that tall six foot four range with speed and jump up and get that ball and that's the guy that Ben Roethlisberger has been looking for ever since Plexico Burris so you've got yep. he finally got the weapon that Ben has been asking for for the past like 10 years, <laughs> you know, toward the end of his career, exactly. but you got to make him happy. Obviously I it's, I think it's great. You're saying for the red zone. I think it's also a really, really big plus in the four wide receiver sets, because instead of having to rely on that fourth receiver being, you know, a Johnny Holton or a Dion Kane, now we actually have a name. We've got Claypool. So we drafted the guy. I mean, he's a, right. And, and he's a, he's a, he's going to be a, Definitely a matchup nightmare if he's going to be on the outside against these smaller corners. Uh, You and we run isolation routes anyway, so if we're going to do an isolation back shoulder on a smaller corner, they got no chance. No chance so zero chance and
1: I think I yeah yeah yeah, I I tweeted that too about the four wide receiver said that's a great point because just think about Claypool and James Washington on the outside Deontay and Juju on the inside Mm -hmm. because Juju does he he plays the slot really well better than he plays outside I think so if he can get in there more and Claypool can offer him that flexibility of playing inside a little more yeah that's just going to open things up that much more but a really interesting uh, point I saw made on Twitter as well was that Claypool did play the slot a lot at Notre Dame. You kind of you see his size and speed and just assume he's a pure outside kind of burner, go up and get it receiver. Yeah. But he absolutely can play over the middle and, and put pressure on those linebackers. I've, I, I saw so many clips of him just torching linebackers. Wow. That's a that's a matchup nightmare when you have a 6'4 oh, receiver who runs a a 4-4-2 four, four, yep. going against a linebacker.
0: And he's running that drag Zero across chance. the field right there by the I – saw, I saw a exactly. couple of those plays right there at the goal line. There's no way those linebackers can keep up with him. You're right. That's a great Zero play. chance.
1: So it, just the way that they've set up their offense, has it's not these huge, big, poppy names, mm-hmm. but what they've done is create matchup nightmares everywhere, and I'm just very, very excited to see how that plays out for them.
0: And I also really like the fact that you mentioned earlier about blocking, and Steelers receivers have been drafted recently as blockers. Juju is a great blocker. The best blocker on the team is Washington. That's why he gets so many snaps. Um, he's He kills people when he goes out on running plays and hits people. I mean, that's one thing I really, really love about Washington's game. I mean, I'd like to see his passing game and his receiving game develop a bit more. I mean, obviously increased from last year, but... I really want to see him take that next step. But across the board, they, they're blockers. Even Deontay Johnson is a willing blocker at a smaller size. He's not afraid to put his head down into people. So that's going to yeah. be a lot of fun to watch the running game develop with, and also plays downfield, which get enhanced because you have somebody make a catch, they break a tackle, and then you have two, three other receivers coming over to lay people out to try to help gain you more uh, yards after the catch.
1: Exactly. It's all good, man. And and all those points put together are why going in, I was not one of the people who wanted them to take a running back at forty nine. I really wanted to see a receiver there.
2: Yeah. Or too.
1: if some just if some phenomenal defensive players slip or a phenomenal offensive lineman slip, sure, go for it. But I wanted a receiver there for all those same reasons. You talk about the matchup nightmares the way that a good passing game can open up the running game. Yeah, I think it's weird. In today's NFL is so strange the way, and this, I don't know if this is controversial or not, I just don't think you need a stud running back anymore. I think you can get it done with a committee of good running backs. Yes. You don't need to go out and have that stud franchise 30-carry-a-game running back anymore. Yeah. You look at the last, I think, it was the last 12 that I looked at Super Bowl winners. And you can probably go back more than 12. I just stopped there because it was the Steelers' last win. Yeah. And one team one team has a franchise running back of the mm-hmm. last 12 winners, and that was Marshawn Lynch and the Seahawks. And even they wow. bungled that yep. by passing at the goal they line. They could add two. They could have, had two. They it could have add two championships <laughs> in a row. You're right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So what's the – What's the sense of having one if, A, it doesn't really win Super Bowls for you, and, B, you don't use them when you have the chance to do it? So I, I just don't see it anymore, and I think James Conner, everybody, Steelers Nation is so finicky, and I'm sure yeah. you know that as well as anybody. Oh, they they yeah. think Juju sucks right now. They <laughs> think James Conner sucks right now. Neither of, the, neither of those guys suck, people. They're Not very good players, and given in the right opportunity, healthy, They'll see. So James Conner is going to be very motivated. I think Benny Snell is going to take a big step in year two. I wrote, I wrote a long piece about him and how his rookie season was actually much better than I think anybody realized. Yeah. Um, he, he had a productive rookie season, actually. Uh-huh. I know it's it's easy to remember the, the one and two yard runs, or maybe he didn't make somebody miss, or it looked like he could have done something else. But you really dig into the tape. I think he had five games where he had at least 15 carries whenever Connor was hurt. yeah. So he had five games where he had 15 carries. And in those five games, he averaged 74 yards a game at like a 4.4 yards per carry wow. average in those games. So, I mean, that's, wow. that's really good that if you get that, you're happy. And you have to, yeah.
0: you have to also keep in mind too, that's when the other defenses were stacking the box, eight, nine people in the box, because exactly. we had duck and we had, um, geez, why well, Rand Rudolph um, getting in there as the as the backup quarterbacks and it's especially after Rudolph got hurt after that Baltimore game I mean it seemed like the entire defense was coming every play at least on a run blitz and then on the way to the quarterback <laughs> so that's pretty impressive numbers. exactly yeah and one, yeah
1: Ben Ben opens up everything Ben changes yes. everything and that's that's the major x-factor here
0: and one final point I want to make about Chase Claypool's game and another reason why the Steelers were super high on him it was they also see him as a special teams ace. This guy covers does is an ace in kick coverage and he might be one of our the people that replaced um you know Johnny Holton who used to be one of our wings on punt and kick coverage. So it'll be interesting to see him running down the field and <laughs> at his size on on the coverage teams Yeah. <laughs> Cause that'll be a, a pretty fun to watch. Yeah. It's also a get, way to get him active on game day too, since he's a fourth receiver. Right.
1: And I think our, uh, Dale Lawley, our, our main Steelers beat writer had, had the stat that Notre Dame had something like 19 tackles on punk coverage and, uh, Claypool had eight of them. Wow. So he was incredibly active. I don't remember if that was last season or, yeah. or what season exactly, but, uh, Regardless, the point being that he had like half of the team's tackles on punt coverage at one point. So the dude is, is very good on special teams, and that definitely matters. I mean, we just talked about Benny Snell. That's why he was given such, such an opportunity last season, because he, he showed up and really dedicated himself to special teams. And go watch the tape. You'll see him all over the place on special teams. Ditto for Justin Lane. Yep. He took over Artie Burns' spot. Yes, he you did. guys remember, like Artie yes. Burns, yeah, he completely did. And that was totally because of special teams. Yep. Justin Lane didn't see the field, really, on defense. But on special teams, he was always there. He was, he was solid. He was making tackles. So that's how, just exactly to your point, that's how a rookie who's on the cusp of making the roster can officially make the 53-man roster, just by playing good special teams, being gritty, and showing up to work hard every day. And that's... Claypool specifically just really seems like the kind of guy who's going to embrace that.
0: And Hunter, I love having you on the podcast because you're just as geeky as as I am about the entire roster. You know, everybody on the roster and I love that. Um, One other interesting thing that I'll bring up (laughs) since you're such a roster geek like I am is now that we have chase Claypool to be able to come in as that extra coverage guy on the coverage teams, we free up, an active spot on the roster because the past seven years, I believe we were utilizing that fifth receiver as our person that would go down and cover those, those kicks. So especially with David Darius Hayward Bay. So now you're, we're freeing up another roster spot now to be able to utilize that anywhere else they want on the roster. So they're probably only going to be carrying four receivers this year, active on game day. They'll probably carry five on the roster on the roster, but only four active on game days.
1: Yep. And that that's gonna be super interesting. And again, we keep talking about flexibility and these matchup problems. Yeah. Eric Ebron can kind of be that fifth receiver. I mean, he's yes. basically a fifth receiver with his size and speed. So yeah. that's just that extra layer of flexibility. I mean, dude, they they have so many options. Like you said, as a roster geek, it's gonna be incredibly interesting to watch this season, this round of cuts and how they get it down to fifty three. Yeah. I'm not sure which, where they're going to add the extra guy this year. If they do just surprise us and take a fifth receiver anyway, yeah. I don't know. But uh, it, it's going to be fun, and the options are there. Like, uh, I, can't, I can't remember a recent, a recent season that has this level of flexibility available.
0: Yeah, across the board, you're right. And so let's go move up to the next pick that the Steelers got in the third round, edge rusher Alex Highsmith from Charlotte. What are your thoughts on that pick? And I,
1: I, I don't know, again, I don't know if you saw the tweet, but I actually tweeted about a week before the draft that I had been watching his tape. And I, I wow. said, if he's there with their with their first pick in the fourth round, you've got to do it. Yeah. I, I was like, you got to do it. So it, it was a round earlier mm-hmm. than I thought. But again, you, nobody knows. Nobody knows what these rankings are like. Nobody knows if he would have realistically lasted until the fourth. But yeah. My my favorite favorite thing about this guy, he was a walk-on at UNC Charlotte. Uh-huh. So, zero hype at all around this guy. He had like one sack in his first season that he really played, like three sacks in his junior season, and then 15 sacks in his senior season. Jeez. So, this is a guy who has just <laughs> – he puts in the work, and he is trending up in a very, very significant fashion. And that's definitely what Colbert and Tomlin saw because – I was on the, the conference call with, with Tomlin and Colbert and Alex Highsmith right after he was drafted, and yeah. Colbert and Tomlin just could not say enough. I, it, Colbert said something like, I don't think this kid is anywhere near where he's eventually going to be. It was something like that, and some people on Twitter took that as negative, like, oh, wow, they got a scrub. who's nowhere near he's going to be. It's like, no, like you're yeah. reading that completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> he's saying that he had 15 sacks last season, which is phenomenal, yeah. And that's nowhere near his potential. Yeah. Like, it's a very good thing. It was a compliment, for sure. Yeah. So they both see it. And and watching the film, our, uh, Chris Carter, who does kind of our X's and O's classroom breakdowns on the site, he went into Highsmith's pass, pass rushing moves hard today. Mm-hmm. There's an article up on the site right now.
2: Yeah. And,
1: uh, man... I'm super impressed, especially because what you hear about this guy is how raw and unpolished he is. Mm-hmm. He's actually pretty refined, this is specifically with pass rushing. Now, he definitely needs to work on run support, mm-hmm. the other areas of the game. Yeah. But as, as far as being a pure pass rusher, he's vicious, man. And he has a wide arsenal of moves to beat you with. He's going to be fun, and that's exactly just the kind of linebacker that Steelers Nation loves. So I, I'm excited to see what this guy can do because don't forget, Chicklow is gone, yep. but he also received a significant amount of snaps last season. I mean, he, yeah. he filled in whenever Watt and Dupree needed a break or got dinged up or whatever. He played some some legit snaps. So if you can upgrade there, that Highsmith can realistically make a difference in year one. And again, Thomas and Colbert said it repeatedly, we expect this guy to be great for us on special teams and contribute immediately on special teams with the upside to potentially also get some defensive snaps so they see the same thing with him that they see in Claypool of you're not going to be your final form in year one and we accept that contribute on special teams make a mark with your hustle and your energy and all the grit and all those intangible things Mm -hmm. and then we'll 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 foster you we'll develop you into the weapon that we think you can be
0: and looking at the roster there at outside linebacker we all know that Watt and Dupree are the starters behind them currently we have Um, Ola Edeniai, we have Tuzar Skipper, and Tuzar Skipper is a guy that fell off our roster, we were trying to throw him on the practice squad, got poached by or rostered by um, the Giants, and then when the Giants tried to put him on their their practice squad, or did put him on the practice squad the Steelers (laughs) poached him back at the end of the year so they do like Tuzar the the problem with Tuzar Skipper though is he has no special teams um, contribution He he didn't contribute at all pretty much in the preseason uh, so that was the biggest reason why he was cut while they're still trying to develop him. So this is going to be what I think is that that fourth position is going to come down between the two of them, between Tuzar and t- between Highsmith, obviously. So unless they choose to keep yeah. an extra outside linebacker, which they may. They, I mean, they've and it's been some years where they keep nine, ten linebackers. And I understand that. But, you know, I know they like to usually go with eight or nine is usually the way they normally go. But sure. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, I think go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think when you, when you look at that position, they all kind of have the same problem, though, which is maybe good, maybe bad, I'm not sure, because they can kind of all focus on this and drills and work on it. But they're all really solid pass rushers with limited experience stopping the run and in run support. So mm. they all three of them, Adini, Skipper, and, and Highsmith, are all going to need to get better at just being strong, shedding blockers in the run game mm. and setting the edge. So that's something, I mean, Bud Dupree, He's kind of a perfect example. He was the same way coming out of college, you know, yeah. good, excellent athleticism, obviously an athletic freak. But he Dupree became very good in pass coverage and against the run, yeah. run, run stopping. Yeah. So they can learn, and, and that's that's the real beauty of being stocked up at outside linebacker the way they are. I mean, there's no two better, there's no better tandem of outside linebackers to learn from than mm-hmm. Watt and Dupree. So all these guys are just going to be soaking up that knowledge learning from two of the best in the game mm-hmm. and hey if they all end up being great starter level guys it's a good problem to have
0: <laughs> and let's move on now to their third pick which was the fourth first pick of the fourth round out of University of Maryland they picked the running back Anthony McFarland Anthony McFarland what do you think about that pick
1: i did i honestly he was not on my radar coming in it's not a guy that i really even saw them potentially taking so he's a guy that i have dug into kind of after the fact so i see a ton of speed i mean you watch his highlight his highlight reel on youtube any highlight reel and yes i understand the highlight reel is a highlight reel and they're all going to look good on a highlight reel but ran a four 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 at the combine obviously super fast and and it shows up on tape that's the biggest thing you talk about the claypool is a perfect example ran a faster 40 at the combine than McFarlane, but you watch the tape and it looks like McFarlane's on fast forward versus Claypool. Now the long stride definitely plays a part in it, but game speed is not exactly the same as running a 40 at the combine. And McFarlane has game speed for sure. I mean, it's just all over his tape. So he's, he's a perfect change of pace back. That's, that's the main takeaway here for me. We talk about Connor and Snell, and then you've also got Samuels and maybe Kareth White still in the mix, but Mm -hmm. Connor and Snell specifically are mostly kind of power guys with, uh, you know, Connor has a little speed, but neither of those guys are really going to break away from you. McFarlane is just a pure home run hitter. And he's also pretty good catching the ball out of the backfield. I was pretty impressed with his receiving. And that's something that they're going to look for for sure from their third running back. Um, I like, I like what I've seen from him, and I like where their head's at in just getting the total opposite of you know a Benny Snell or a James Conner just to fully develop that. Because like I was saying, you can get by with just maybe three running backs. Look how New England's done it and won Super Bowls with it for years. They just hit you with three different guys and yep. do three different things, yep. and, and it's just hard to adjust to on the fly. So Anthony McFarland is absolutely a change of pace and a very – a very dramatic change of pace at that.
0: <laughs> and I'm looking at his stats. Obviously, he had he blew up. He's only a sophomore. His freshman year, he blew up. He had an incredible, incredible year. And interestingly enough, his offensive coordinator at the time is now our current quarterback's coach, who's supposed to be helping out with offensive uh, game planning as well in Matt Canada. So Matt Canada yep. left. He had to go through a change in, in coordinator, an in offensive coordinator. They changed the whole offense. He also was banged up last year, so obviously he didn't hit his production, but if we go back to that 2018 season, he had a game against Ohio State that was won for the the ages. I mean, he put up two yards short of 300 yards against Ohio State, and that is no small feat, especially when Maryland is not that talented of a team in the Big Ten compared to the others, but... That is a hell of a performance and a hell of a job also by Matt Canada to get all those guys open and to perform in that game against Ohio State. It was just an incredible, incredible highlight reel to watch. If you just watch that game itself, that kind of gives you – it shows you the the wiggle, it shows you the speed, and it shows you the pass-catching ability that he has out of the backfield to be that kind of triple threat. And the way I kind of see him too, Hunter, is he reminds me a lot of Willie Parker. The way that we mm-hmm. scouted Willie Parker, he barely got any touches in college. We had some people around. I think some of the Rooney family was there in the North Carolina area that is just like, this guy can play. I don't know why these offensive, you know, he kept switching coordinators. All the coordinators wanted to get a banger as opposed to a speed guy. So we brought in Willie Parker as an undrafted rookie free agent, and he didn't have barely any miles on those tires. And you're looking at McFarlane the same way. I mean, the Steelers. I don't know if they're trying to get away from those big bruising backs that you know, that have tons and tons and tons and tons, a thousand touches in college. I mean, that's a lot of wear on a running back, to tell you the truth, especially when you're drafting one. So to get one of these that's a little bit less mileage on them, still fast, still have wiggle, and it's, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how this works out, especially in the running back room when we thought we had that in Kareth White.
1: Yeah, it it absolutely is interesting. I love two points you made there I think are absolutely crucial. A, his exposure, his previous exposure and experience with Matt Canada. Yeah. And like like you said, Randy Fickner is still the offensive coordinator here. So Canada is not fully taking over, but Canada is supposedly going to have some say and maybe implement some of his ideas and schemes. And McFarland is definitely going to play right into that. I don't think that's a coincidence. And also the Ohio State game, not just because anybody listening to this who hasn't seen it definitely needs to go watch it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also because what, what that means. These guys playing big games against big opposition is huge, man. That's no coincidence. And I go back to Alex Highsmith as well. Hmm. One of his best games was against Clemson. And Dalbo Swinney in the post post-game press conference was just saying, how much of a monster Highsmith was and how difficult he was to block and how he kind of had to shift his whole offense mid-game because they just could not stop that guy. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, mm-hmm. Clemson blew them out of the water. It was not a close game by any means. Yeah. But Swinney yeah. acknowledged, like, hey, the game wasn't close, but that, that guy was actually a legitimate problem for us. So these guys who maybe come from smaller schools or, or less heralded backgrounds but make a big impact against elite competition – Mm -hmm. That weighs heavily on their minds, I I guarantee it. And we saw it perfectly with Highsmith and McFarland back-to-back. That's that's a big deal to them.
0: That it is. Moving on, the next pick that the Steelers ended up grabbing was the guard Kevin Dotson out of Louisiana Lafayette. And I had had the pleasure of interviewing him. He was a great, great interview, and I'll get on to that in a second. But I want to get your thoughts on Kevin Dotson first before I talk about him.
1: Sure. Another guy who honestly was not – super high on my radar who i kind of had to dig in and learn about thankfully i was kind of like high smith i was on that conference call with him and with uh sean surrett right after so Mm. it it was cool to get to hear from him i love this guy's personality right off the bat first of all you you talk about a guy whose steelers nation is going to fall in love with he he is my candidate for that Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think they're just going to (laughs) absolutely love this guy we saw with zach banner last year the way they could kind of latch on to these guys who just kind of have fun and, and are totally about the Steelers, just all in, all invested. Mm-hmm. And I think Dawson is very much going to be that way. But the crazy thing with him is again, a smaller school out of Louisiana, Yep. but he was first team all American by like everybody, yes. a- everywhere that yes. mattered. This guy was the first team all American <laughs> didn't get a combine, didn't get a combine invite, which is just bizarre. Crazy. Yeah. But yeah. But hearing him and Surrett both talk about it, they do not care one bit about that combine invite. And it, it was funny. You were talking about this earlier, and as you were saying, I was kind of smiling and nodding my head. You said it's a very film-heavy draft, and that could yeah. not be more true. I think Dawson's yeah. the best example of this yeah. because you watch this guy's film, I don't care what he runs in the 40. I don't care how many reps he does on the bench press. I don't need to know anything. I saw what I needed to see when I watched this guy. Right. I mean, he's running through people. He's pulling. He's quick. Uh-huh. He apparently ran like a 4.8, by the way, in a personal yes. personal workout. They said he ran a 4.8, yep, 40, which is – that's just – that's absurd. That's
0: scary. <laughs> I know. And I was telling I mean, him that in the interview when I had with him. I'm like, I was a wide receiver in high school and I ran a 4.7, and I thought that was fast. And he's running a 4.8 at <laughs> his weight. I mean, you're making yes. me look mad. <laughs> Ridiculous. And did you yeah. did you see the video of him
1: pulling pulling the truck? <laughs> pulling yes. the truck up an incline. Pulling it, not yep. pushing it. Pushing yep. it. Uh, amazing, dude. Yes. That's crazy. But he's pulling it by the tailgate up a hill. Wow. Makes no sense.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and he he was a fun interview. And one thing that Steeler Nation is really going to really like about the guy is he's one of Steeler Nation's own. He is a Steeler fanatic, mm-hmm. grew up a Steeler fanatic. And it was really funny when he got drafted. And there's that video out there of him spinning the terrible towel saying, I'm coming to Pittsburgh. I'm ready, guys. Get ready for me. And it's it was just really fun to see him in his dad's man cave, spinning that towel, holding the sign football there in front for all Steeler Nation to uh, cheer along with him. Um, But aside from the fandom, one thing I wanted to really point out about his tape and what I really loved about the Rage and Cajuns tape in general was it was just a pleasure to watch that entire right side of the line because... Um, Dotson was playing right there at right guard, and then just over to the right of him was Robert Hunt playing right tackle, who got drafted by the Miami Dolphins in the beginning of the second round. And the two of those guys working together was just so fun to watch. And when I got into talking to them, they lived together all five years of college. They were roommates. They, play, sat, they played next to each other on the field all five years. They're the best of friends, and they have a, a really, really neat relationship. But it was just so fun to watch that film because you can tell it wasn't because of one or the other the reason why they were good. they were both just dominating that side of the line. And on the combo blocks, I mean, <laughs> they had no chance. Nobody <laughs> had a chance when those two were blocking somebody together, which was really, really the reason why the uh, Raging Cajuns were ever able to beat... Ben Roethlisberger's Redhawks there in the um, Lending Tree Bowl last year.
1: For sure. And it was hilarious, man. Somebody in the conference call asked him about that, playing with Robert Hunt. And they said, how did opposing teams handle that? How did they stop you guys from doing what you wanted? And I'm looking at my transcription right now. Dawson literally said they couldn't. (laughs) That was his answer. So. So it's like, it's exactly that. that, And that's the thing with his personality that I think people are going to love. He has this confidence about him, but it's very much, and I keep coming back to Zach Banner just because that's who it reminds me of a lot. Mm -hmm. It never comes off as like abrasively cocky. It's like a fun confidence. He just has this swagger about him that people are going to love. I mean, he, he said right here, another quote from the transcription right here, he said, I'll tell them to play and they yep. have to try to find a way to do it when when I know they can't. If I, if I tell you to play and you still can't stop it, it hurts your morale way more. So that's, he, he's out here telling people to play that's coming and then still dominating them on it. I mean, that that's next-level trash talk.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And there's one other thing about his game that really kind of sticks out to me too is he reminds me a lot of Ramon Foster. Ramon was that undrafted Ooh. guy in 2009, huge body, Really good against the run, was under the radar. I mean, this guy obviously has a higher pedigree. He's a first-team All-American from a small school, which is no small feat at all. But to me, just looking at the guy, he has like a Ramon Foster feel, but he appears to be faster and has better hands. So I think his upside is a lot higher there. I I think that his passing game can develop. I'm interested to see him in the mix there for left guard this year when they're talking about moving – uh, Filer over from right tackle to compete with uh, Wis- Wisniewski. So how do you see that battle shaping up this year?
1: Well, it just got a lot more interesting to me because <laughs> yeah. initially I, I I thought for sure Filer was going to kick inside to left guard and then Chooks and Banner were going to battle it out for that right tackle position. But now, I mean, I, I, the, if Dawson is as good as Surrett says and as good as the tape says, I mean, Soret said it himself on the conference call. He said he is realistically a guy who can challenge for that open position going in. So I'm just going yeah. by what he's saying yeah. and what the tape's showing me. He absolutely looks like a guy who could potentially take that spot. So if he's if he's that good and he just comes into camp and amazes everybody and dazzles and takes it, now you're looking at Filer sticking at right tackle where he's been very good, and potentially choops or Banner can now be the backup or outplay him through camp. I mean, once again... We talk about all the versatility that they have. It's a great, great problem to have. And Wisniewski is the wild card in all this for me. He, he's a guy who's a veteran who's going to understand things. And I think this is a huge point this year specifically in being that the training camps are going to be so shortened. Yeah. You know, they're not having rookie mini camps. They're not having OCAs and things like that because yeah. of coronavirus. So these, these rookies aren't going to have nearly as much time to learn the playbook to, to get to know their teammates, to get to know the schemes, to get comfortable. So these veteran guys like Wisniewski specifically mm-hmm. might have a major advantage coming in if he can't adapt quickly. So, so that could be a hindrance for mm-hmm. Dawson. That could keep him away from that starting role. Right now, I definitely think he'll be depth in year one. Mm-hmm. But again, judging from by what the coaches say, by what Dawson says, by what the tape shows me, they got a guy who is of that caliber, maybe yeah. not right away, but eventually, eventually he's, he's going to be a stud, I think.
0: And great points about Wisniewski. He is that cagey vet. Obviously, he's been on two of the three last Super Bowl winning teams in Philadelphia and Kansas City, solidifying that guard spot. And he wasn't the main starter during the year, both of those years. So he's one of those guys that knows how to come in, still plays at a high level. And I think that you're right. It gives him an extreme advantage early in the season to becoming that guy that may be the starter in the beginning of the year. If Filer isn't the one that's going to come over and take it from him. But to me, it's just a really interesting situation to have that kind of KG veteran who not only is he a good guard, and you know started on those two Super Bowl winning teams but he's a good center and he that's really who we needed as a replacement wasn't necessarily Foster when Foster left it seemed to me that Wisniewski was more of a replacement for BJ Finney who was that guy that was the yep. backup center that was the backup guard could back up both spots and he's and it, to me that's a, a great guy to have on the team and it gives you a little bit more veteran leadership and experience at those positions than what finney had
1: absolutely that's that's an excellent point too and that comes right back around to dawson who played tackle at louisiana initially yeah and then kicked inside to guard so mm-hmm. he can play guard or tackle and also has said he's been working on center this yeah. off
2: season so he's <laughs>
1: learning how to play center too yeah so you might as well i mean he, he's going to be learning how to be a fullback and a running back soon probably too the way that it sounds like this guy's just <laughs> insanely he did he just wants to be able to do it all. So, I mean, yeah. he, he has the hunger and the drive, it sounds like. I, I don't know. My main thing watching this guy is how did he flip to the fourth round? That's, that's the huge – I won't say it's a red flag because we see people every year just flat out get missed. I mean, it happens in the draft. But how does a first team all everything with tape like this fall that far? Man, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's missing something that I just don't see. But that's kind of it. I don't see it. I see this guy being a contributor uh, year one, honestly.
0: I'll tell you what my theory is on that, Hunter. It's this year completely different than any other year. The only thing you have to go off of is film, the combine, and pro days. Now, two Mm -hmm. of those three, Dotson doesn't even have. He didn't have a pro day. Right. He didn't have combine he, he, he got snubbed at the combine so a lot of these teams and you notice like the first three rounds of this draft were nearly all power five conference picks not a whole lot of like maybe like one or two small school pickups which is not the case in most drafts because you have a lot more time to be able to interview and get to know these people directly face to face it's a little tougher getting to know somebody across a computer screen over a phone than it is direct contact with somebody and hanging out with them for some time and getting to see how comfortable they are in their own skin and how they fit in with the with the personalities with the coaching staff so that is one thing that I always I wrote an article actually about this with the Pittsburgh Steelers on the day of the draft was the Steelers have 51 years of not having to replace the head of the draft, the person, who whether it's the director of football operations or the GM, whatever they call that person, and the coach in the same year since 1969. So they've always had overlap. It seems like that's why they're so good at drafting and finding talent because of their – the way they put in the work from year to year and also starting um, Blesto and that Blesto headquarters being in Pittsburgh and still maintaining an office there. That was – one of the biggest things that the Roonies started up back in the, in the sixties. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. they've got a lot of, Crazy. of, of, of extra things. And that, that are kind of been there, done that, even though this is a pandemic, they have all, everything already in place. They know how to draft. They know how to evaluate talent. They just, they just go out and do it. And it's, and that's what I said, like you and me both, like I thought Dotson was a steal too, where they took him to get a first team all American guard, There in the fourth round, so you know I can't be upset with that at all. (laughs) So for sure, yeah. And And yeah,
1: go ahead. I just want to I just want to add there. I want to add there super quick. It's it's an interesting point, and it makes me want to go back to past drafts and see when this usually happens. But Dotson was the first pick taken who didn't get a combine invite here. You know, midway through midway through round four, and that's the first guy taken in the draft who did who didn't perform at the combine. So. It would be interesting. Uh, you might be onto something there. Does it, it usually come way earlier than that dress? It's not something that I ever tracked. Mm-hmm. It's only something I know because it happened to a guy I was writing about this time, so yeah. I paid attention to it. But it would be it'd be interesting, interesting to go back and see.
0: And, and that's the problem with, I think, a lot of NFL evaluation is sometimes they put those combine numbers a little too high. So then they have a whole group of guards to look at and they're like, well, this guy's a little stronger. This guy's a little faster. And that's kind of how they whittle stuff down. But without having Dotson even on that sheet to evaluate against all those other people, it's like <laughs> that could, the Steelers kind of got a benefit out of that. It's uh-huh. kind of like going back to right? the 74 draft when they didn't have tape on Stallworth. And he ended up. They they wanted to draft him in the second round, and they're like, "No, no, let's let's wait a little bit." And though that was back when you could hide tape and not send it to other teams when you see it. (laughs) Sure. And (laughs) and they were spot on on that. So that might be another situation where that happened.
1: Yeah, that that draft was okay.
0: Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> they did all right with that one. Uh but moving on to the next player, the Steelers go back and double dip at Maryland by picking up their strong safety, Antoine Brooks Jr. What do you like about him?
1: Versatility. Again, it's the it's like the uh you, you watch Pee Wee's Playhouse when you were a kid. Yep. like the that's like the but that's our buzzword. That's our buzzword for this podcast is versatility, I guess. But uh. can play in the box. Can play deep, I love, I love, love, love that pick because of exactly that. It's exactly what I thought they needed. It's exactly what I thought they were going to get when Grant Delpit started to slide a little bit, when some of the other top-rated safeties started to slide. I thought it was going to come a lot earlier. But, of course, they had that big run on safeties at the very beginning of the second round. Yeah. So, yeah. took that out of the equation. Yeah. But I love – because Edmonds – I think Edmonds has some unjust – criticism early in his career. Maybe that's just me. I know I'm one of the few who still believes in him, but I still absolutely believe in Terrell Edmonds. He has all the athleticism. Yeah. He knows the playbook and the system. He's getting better. He's trending up for sure. There's a few plays last season, I think, specifically the DK Metcalf touchdown and also the Tyler Boyd when he kind of mossed him a little bit. Yeah, Those are two plays where Ed- Edmonds had literally perfect coverage, and it was just a better throw and a better catch. Yeah. Like The offense is allowed offense is allowed to make plays sometimes and Mm -hmm. Edmonds was just unfortunately on the other side of it so (laughs) he gets a lot of unjust criticism but one thing that is for sure is that he has struggled since coming into the league at guarding deep covering deep and just being that last line of defense he's had a tendency to get burned there a little bit so if Brooks can kind of fill in and take some of the ease off him and allow Edmonds to play more in the box where he's more comfortable or vice versa. you know, Maybe Edmonds just focuses on that and works with Minka and becomes you know, a force back there, and then he's able to play up in the box more and make plays there. Either way, it gives them options, and it's going to give them the ability to make up for that mark, the loss of Mark Barron a little bit mm-hmm. in, in the middle of the field, and then also just add to their depth at safety. I mean, there's so much to love about that pick, especially as, as late as they got it.
0: And I'm going to be interviewing Antoine Brooks here tomorrow, and I've done a lot of research on the guy, and the guy is an athlete. He actually went to high school right next to the University of Maryland, like 13 miles away in Lanham. And the guy was a quarterback and a defensive back at the same time, double double duty back in, uh, back in his high school days. And All-State, you know, fantastic athlete, uh, ended up really – he broke his, um, his leg that required five, five hours of surgery, a really bad compound fracture, and lost a lot of his—he um, was supposed to go to University of Buffalo. They rescinded the offer, and so he ended up going locally to Maryland because they gave him an offer there, too, once he cleared his uh, physical. But when he came into University of Maryland, first starting out, he was a linebacker. So they started off at the will. He didn't get a lot of touches, didn't play a lot there, more spot duty, more special teams. And then the next year they tried him out as that box safety. So then after he excelled in the box safety role, they kind of started moving him around a little bit to be kind of that money backer position. And that's something that it seems like the Steelers have been trying to find ever since Polamalu's left the team, is somebody that can kind of shift between that you know, slot coverage, will linebacker, strong safety um, role. It's, it's kind of confuse the other team on what they're going to do in different arrangements with different personnel. So that's something that I really, really like about his game. But you also mentioned, too, Edmonds. I think Edmonds has the ability to do that as well. The Steelers never seem to yeah. really get to the point where they say, OK, Edmonds, we want you to be that money backer spot. And we, and the, and honestly, when they drafted him, I was thinking that too. I was like, Oh great. We finally got a money backer, but they've strictly yep. been kind of keeping him in that strong safety role as a, as a strict, strong safety and haven't been kind of moving or moving him around as much personnel wise as I think they probably could. But I, maybe that's what I you know, that that they need for Edmonds to really get into the defense because you have Minka back there. He can do the free safety role. He doesn't have to be the guy in the box anymore. And he's already alluded to the fact back when he used to play in Miami. He really didn't like it so much. But I mean, with playing it in Pittsburgh and having an all pro year, he's saying all the right things and he's he is getting excited and saying, like, I'll do anything. I'll line up wherever you want me now. I mean, obviously, beautiful, beautiful accolades and I just love watching him on the field. But he needs that. They need that counterpunch. I, I want to see them really structure that role of, of Edmonds because, you know, Minka kind of joined on the fly. A couple games in, they brought him in, and then, boom, he's right on the field and doing awesome. I mean, don't get me wrong, but the, the entire defense Crazy. had to kind of like figure out how to play with Minka. And now we're starting off a whole offseason coming in it with planning. Now, you know, how is that role with Minka and Edmonds going to change? And then how is Brooks going to come in and back up? Those two in in any kind of role, whether it's in a dime or a dollar, uh, getting on the field and possibly making some plays. But obviously getting picked that late, we got another special teams guy and they drafted him for special teams coverage, which is something he can do because he loves, loves, loves to hit. I mean, you've seen his I don't (laughs) know if you've seen his film, but every time he makes a big hit behind the line of scrimmage, he is pumped. He is it's like watching when Kiesel used to do it and then do that big like leg kick or do the bow and arrow. Yeah, (laughs) I mean I'd love those types of plays because those are backbreaker plays for drives when you have a corner. Yeah, a a strong safety flying in from ten yards away to get that safety valve in the backfield still or to break up that wide receiver screen before it starts. I mean it's just really really fun to watch him move around the field like a missile in his highlights.
1: It really is. And, and again, highlights, everybody can look like a beast on highlights. But when you start seeing mm-hmm. certain things consistently like that is when I really start to take stock in it. You know, it's not just one splash play. It's something that he's shown a consistent ability to do throughout his time with Maryland. And just the, the biggest thing that I can't get away from with this guy is that linebacker safety hybrid ability. Man, that's so, yeah. that's so modern NFL, so necessary in yeah. today's modern NFL so i'm crazy interested to see how it's going to work between him and edmonds how they're going to split it up how they're going to what kind of packages they'll be deployed in either together or separately i don't know i truly don't know what to expect and that makes it interesting also makes it a little more difficult for opposing offenses because they're not going to know what to expect either whenever it could be anybody
0: <laughs> and one final point i want to make about brooks before we move on i live in the maryland area i've actually seen him play i saw his his game against temple, uh, this year at the, at, um, the field, oh my gosh, why am I drawing a blank on the name of the, of the, <laughs> of the football field, the bird field? Well, bird field is the name of the person. I just can't remember which corporation has the naming rights right now, but, uh, but it was a beautiful, beautiful game. And he, he was all over the place in that game. And one thing I want to say about all of my Maryland friends that are also Ravens fans, they hated the fact that he was going to Pittsburgh. Hated it, so that's yeah there you go. That 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 always yeah. helps. <laughs> so any pick that we pick up that they are upset about, they also hated the fact that we got Claypool with with their awesome draft. They are still upset that we have right. Claypool and Brooks. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll have to see how this. <laughs>
1: That's what makes rivalry so beautiful. That's the beauty of rivalries. I think a lot of Steelers fans are a little upset. They got J.K. Dobbins too. And yeah. late in the draft they got Geno Stone. Geno yeah. Stone went Jeez. to Newcastle High School right here outside Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. So they got they got a they got a local boy and they got a guy who every well, I won't say everybody, but a lot of Steelers Nation wanted in J. K. Dobbins.
0: Yeah. Yep. he was a lot on a lot of people's mock drafts here going into this draft. Uh last person that the Steelers picked up, seventh round, they finally fixed that position of defensive tackle that everybody wanted filled, but they did it at the end of the draft, and they picked up Carlos Davis. What do you like about him?
1: I love his feet on tape. I love his feet, man. He's super quick. He gets off the ball very fast. I think that shows up instantly, and I think that's one thing that Hargrave did exceptionally well for a a dude his size, as fast as he was with his feet and his hands. That initial little punch just to set up his pass rush, man. He's great there, and I'm not saying that Davis is going to be that guy right off the bat, yeah. but his tape shows some ability to do that. And it was pretty cool, man. And Nebraska playing on the defensive line right next to his twin brother yep. who, who got drafted around earlier by the Buccaneers. So yep. that, that's a cool, really cool storyline for them, just watching them on the draft coverage. I didn't actually see it but I heard that his brother Khalil jumped into his arms like when he was driving. Like they just had a real cool moment, I guess, <laughs> on the draft cover. So.
2: Oh, nice. I
1: love I love it, man. I, I love stuff like that. I love when me people too. are just hyped for the opportunity because that drive can go so far. And it's funny that you mentioned Ramon Foster earlier, but he is, to me, the ultimate example of that drive, an underappreciated guy mm. who just kept betting on himself. Yeah. And if, if you want to bring it to a more, a more recent example, I think Steven Nelson is that guy. I talked to him a ton last year whenever they signed him. His first day at the South Side, you know, I interviewed him, and then I kind of interviewed him at least once a week from there on, after games, after practices, whatever, just to, just to keep in touch with him because I love, love, love his mentality. This guy was willing to bet on himself. He was basically saying, I was a third-round pick. I his stats at Kansas city. If you remember, he got targeted a ton and, and receivers put up a ton of yardage on him because the chiefs had such an explosive offense that opposing teams were just airmailing it out all game, trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. So he got, he got targeted repeatedly. There's no cornerback on earth really that could have <laughs> held up to that. Unfortunately, when you're just targeted that much, you're going to give up catches and yards. I mean, that's just how it works. But he got to Pittsburgh, and he knew he knew that people were underestimating him, and that that fueled him. And, and we saw we saw the season he had, a phenomenal season. So I see, you know, Carlos Davis. When you get a guy like that who just is that driven and that willing to say this is about me, and I really don't care. Seventh round, I don't care. I'm here to play football, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a difference. Guys like that can do it time and again. So I, I love just seeing his excitement and hearing more about him and his family ties to football and everything. I think that's all trending in a positive direction for that pick. In the seventh round, you you, you really don't know what you're getting that yeah. deep in the draft. Even the experts don't know exactly what they're getting that deep in the draft. But on the surface, he looks like a good pick. Like you said, fill mm-hmm. the position of need for sure. So there's that layer of it. But also, it looks like this guy can just play.
0: Not only can he play, but this guy's an athlete. And the amazing thing is ever since he was born, he's been competing with his brother. He's, he's the older brother and slightly taller brother. He's got an inch on him and an extra 10 pounds and five minutes earlier than his brother is Khalil then. <laughs> so he always gets to rub it in <laughs> that he's the bigger brother. Um, but they've been an interesting aside here. They were both adopted. They were adopted when they were nine months old. Um, by the Davis family, and that's all they've known. So they've they've grown up in that household. They were hyper-competitive with each other. They used to do s- swimming competitions and then got into track and field where they used to do a lot of the running, and you could see by their numbers, both of them. I mean, Carlos ran a 4.8. His brother that got drafted the round earlier, Khalil, he ran a 4.75, and that's that's huge. I mean, we're talking about 300-pounders running these. <laughs> I mean, Wild. Super-athletic guys. Wild. And then not only that – They wanted to go to Nebraska because not only did they want to play football together, they also wanted to play track and field together. They wanted to go to a place that allowed them to throw Mm -hmm. discus. And Carlos ended up being a second team All American in discus. And his brother, right there as well, I think his brother ended up being third team (laughs) All American. So (laughs) it's right there, back to back, super athletics uh, guys. And they're still All Americans, even though they aren't All Americans in football, they're All Americans in track. They are hyper, hyper competitive guys. So I don't see anything like you were saying as well, Hunter, that competition is going to break these guys down because these guys want to compete. Now, the one thing I want to know from you is, do you see um, Carlos as being a possibility of fi- filling in that nose tackle zero to three tech role on this team?
1: I think I think they drafted him. To potentially do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll do that right away. I think that's gonna be Tyson a this season. Mm-hmm. I think Davis primarily is going to be competing with Dan McCullers for the backup role there. Mm-hmm. So I think I mean they've been trying I don't want to say the Steelers are actively trying to push Dan McCullers off the roster because if they wanted to do that, they could just cut it. Yeah. But yeah. but it's been it's been clear over the past couple years. They'll they'll draft. I think it was uh Joshua Frazier a couple years ago. They drafted they keep they keep bringing in defensive tackles to potentially beat out McCullers, and none of them can. So, I think they keep taking these late flyers on a defensive tackle, hoping that they can upgrade some depth at that position—not just add depth, but actually upgrade the depth. So, I think Davis's primary battle is going to be against McCullers. And McCullers, for I mean, for all the stuff he gets, for all the people saying he can't play, we just—I just said it right there—he keeps beating the people that they're trying to. To bring in to, to take his roster spot. So McCullers can yeah. absolutely play. He knows he knows the system. He has spurts where he looks utterly dominant and other spurts where he looks like he just doesn't care about football at all. So that's kind of the thing with him. But Carlos Davis, it's a great place to start because we talk about that passion and that drive. Mm. That goes a long, long way. So if he can just care more than McCullers, that might, that might be enough to tip it in his favor. So I think that's his battle right now with with upside to potentially take over as that full-time nose tackle.
0: And that's about all the time we have today on the podcast, Hunter. I, I wanted to get more into going over the AFC North's picks. Obviously, we're over an hour now, but I wanted to see maybe if you want to jump on another podcast here later in the week, maybe Thursday and Friday, and we'll go over the different picks in the AFC North and see how they compared against the Steelers draft.
1: For sure, man. Let's do it. That's... Never a bad thing to be back on the show. That, that was super fun. I actually did that on purpose. I did that on purpose. So you have to invite <laughs> me back.
0: <laughs> oh, I know. And, and the podcast is really, really blowing up this week. I mean, I've, I've got um, interviews lined up this entire week. I mean, tomorrow I'm interviewing two guys. I'm doing uh, Brooks in the afternoon, and then I'm going to do Carlos Davis in the evening, and we'll probably be releasing that one on Thursday. Uh, And then I get to interview Zach Banner on Wednesday. So we've got a um, plus doing Dotson yesterday. We've got a lot of the new players. We're going to get to know them here at Steeler Nation on the podcast. And Steeler Nation, you know Hunter now. you got to follow him, too. His Twitter and his Instagram uh, handle is the same. It is at Hunter A. Homestech. That's at H-U-N-T-E-R-A-H-O-M-I-S-T-E-K. That will be on the podcast page as well so you can just copy paste it from there make it easy but thanks again I mean we re- really I I love talking with roster geeks as much as I am Hunter so it was a pleasure having you on the podcast today and I'm looking forward to talking to, to you later on in the week here
1: absolutely man thank you so much for having me on that that was super fun it's nice it's nice to geek out with fellow nerds <laughs> once in a while and just get into it so plenty to talk about plenty more to talk about man I'll, I'll see you soon
0: yeah I will okay cool man Hey, Steeler fans, make sure to come to SteelerNation.com for the best football forum and Steelers news on the internet. Tweet us at SteelerNation or Instagram us at SteelerNation.com. Thanks for joining us for the SteelerNation.com podcast. I'm your host, G. Stryker, with Hunter Homestek, rooting along with you as always. Go Steelers!